it just kind of sent me into this spiral of depression. And as dark as it was, it allowed me a totally different perspective of what mental illness is and, and can be. Um, and it also allowed me to see what social media is doing to us, especially in our darkest moments. Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. I think one of the best ways for each of us to grow as people is by learning from each other. If you enjoy today's episode, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're listening from. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Tracy Samantha Schmidt, which I, think, <laughs> I love that you just started. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, Tracy is your first name. We know that much. So we'll go with Tracy. Um, Tracy, you are uh, you're somebody's daughter, obviously. You have two, uh, what I think are amazing parents, but I want to talk to you about that. Um, you are a sister. You're I call you a journalist because that's the best I can think of, but we'll talk about, I think there's so much involved in just journalists. Um, and nowadays you are the founder of Socially Authentic, which I love the name. This is a content studio for entrepreneurs and executives. And we were just talking before I started recording, but um, the, the reason I really wanted to have you on the podcast is... And I was trying to think about how to phrase this. And then I was poking around your Facebook and I saw it was a couple of years ago, you were working at a company, a tech company in Chicago, and you were the only person at a all hands meeting of 800 people in the company to raise your hand, stand up, introduce yourself, give a fun fact about yourselves. And someone in the comments of that Facebook post said something along the lines of Tracy, you are the type of person that's always confidently raising your hand and standing up. And that's when it clicked for me. That's why, I mean, there's a million other reasons that you're an amazing person, but you just seem to be, to me, a person that is always creating, always raising their hand, always standing up and taking action. And that really inspires me. So first of all, just thank you for being that kind of person. I really admire that. Oh my gosh. I'm like crying over here. This is so sweet. <laughs> thank you. And I do yeah, remember- I, mean, I genuinely that. mean it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of my parents actually instilled that into me at a very, very young age. And we can talk about that. Um, it hasn't always how, been easy. How did they fact, instill it's that? it's been very hard. Um, I think that they raised us. My dad was a school teacher for many years in the Chicago Public Schools. My mom is a social worker. Um, so they, by nature, are always inclined to do the right thing, even when it's the hard thing. Um, and so they led us by example. And they always just you know, taught us to do that. Um, I have a funny memory when I was like eight about this. Um, we were in art class in my grade school in the Chicago suburbs. And somebody painted in art class over somebody else's painting and everybody else knew who did it but nobody wanted to admit it and I raised my hand and I was like I think I know who did it but I don't want to tell on them oh no, oh, <laughs> no. So, I know and I was like oh I want to do the right thing because nobody else wants to do the right thing but do you throw somebody into the bus and that has repeated throughout my life since then so, yeah. Did did you tell? Did you say who it was or no? No, I didn't. I think no. it led to a larger conversation of like right and wrong and things like that. So it's like an ethical debate in age eight in art class. 
You know, it's funny you say that, like eight, because so I have my oldest Noah is nine and my daughter Molly is five. And so he's right around the age when you were having this situation, this moral dilemma. And I could see him doing the same thing. Like at that age, I think you're still learning that kind of thing. Like you are still absorbing those around you. So the fact that you were even like considering that, I think is amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know why that sticks in my memory, but it really does. So, yeah. I wonder if it was kind of like that first ethical dilemma for your, like, as you became a person. And so it like sticks with you. That's my random hunch. I think it was. I can't think of an earlier ethical dilemma. (laughs) So there you go. So dad is a teacher. Um, Did you... I feel like throughout our lives, you know, especially in the United States, we're in a lot of school from like five till we're 18. And so we have great teachers. We have not so great teachers. We have teachers that really impact us, teachers we could do without. Um, if if your dad is a teacher, I would imagine you had kind of a whole different perspective and appreciation for just teachers. Is, is that the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's also a historian. Um he has a PhD in history from U of C, University of Chicago. Um, and then he ended up taking a job full-time at CPS. Um, and so he's very diverse career history, working in Chicago public schools and then teaching universities and things like that. Um, interestingly, talking about teachers, my mother is also a corporate trainer. So she teaches um, a lot of like corporate wellness, mental health practices inside corporations. So she teaches at the corporate level, and he has taught it all the way from high school, grade school all the way through university. Um, so we really grew up in that. Um, so I don't know if I have a different perspective. It's all I know. So I imagine it's different than people who didn't grow up with that. It's interesting that you say that it's all you know, because I'm, th- I'm just thinking now, you, your mom is teaching within a corporate setting. Your dad is a teacher. And I think, you know, being a historian too, probably loves to share and educate and then you, at the beginning of your career, are at the Chicago Tribune creating from nothing classes to teach social media to people of all shapes, sizes, and backgrounds. Uh, and you've taught at the University of Chicago. I'm just starting to see you've had a lot yourself of kind of that that giving, that teaching, that educating. And I wonder if that's just, as you said, all you knew and it's something that you probably thrive off of. Yeah. Um Yeah, so I actually started teaching um, college right when I was out of college. Um, I taught when I was 24 at Dominican University, which is is my alma mater for undergrad. I taught journalism, and then I taught graduate journalism at DePaul right after that. Um, And when I was at the Tribune, what ended up happening was I was already teaching graduate school at DePaul, and we needed to... um, start to find new revenue models at the Tribune. At the time, the company was in bankruptcy. We had just gone through really terrible layoffs. So this was 2010, uh, the beginning of 2011. Um, And I was just like, well, we need to reach new advertisers for the Tribune. And everybody's very confused by social media at this point. So why don't I just try to teach like one class at the Chicago Tribune? and we put a little ad in the newspaper and I had an Eventbrite and it was like introduction to social media for business. And I made a PowerPoint and like 20 people showed up <laughs> and like, I was like, what is this? Um, and I just taught this like one hour class on PowerPoint, like how to use Facebook, how to set up a page. And at the end of the class, 
every single person was like, can you do this again? Can, can we have another class? And so I just started teaching these classes um, over and over. And within six months, I had taught close to a thousand people. That's a lot of people in six months. Yeah, it was intense. It was my full-time job at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, we ended up, what happened was just started developing more classes. Um, so that was introduction to Facebook for business. And then I think we did introduction to Twitter for business. Instagram had just launched like maybe three or six months earlier. So that wasn't even a thing on our, our radar yet, let alone anybody else's radar. Um, and then we started teaching other digital marketing classes. So like introduction to blogging, um, how to create a, like know what to pick in a web developer. Like we weren't teaching how to build a website. It was like, how do you pick a web developer? And it was so interesting because, um, we had started developing classes for consumers as well. Um, so we had the consumer side, which are the readers. And then we had the business side, which was like advertisers. So business people who are marketing, um, had two sets of classes and especially the consumers was really where the classes took off because it was right at the height of the recession. Um, and so many people were out of work and to be competitive, especially people who weren't digital natives, they needed to understand social media. Um, and I just remember looking out of these classrooms, we had in some classes, 40, 60, 80, even a hundred people in a class. And the majority of them were over the age of 45, 50, largely in their fifties and sixties. And they looked very confused when they would come into class and very worried. Um, and then class would be two or three hours. And my goal was just to like show them how the networks work, um, give them all the opportunities to use it however they want. And always said like, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to share everything. You can, you can like use this however you think is best for you. And it was empowering to them. And, and by the end, I think they seemed very hopeful. That's uh, that kind of impact that you probably had in those people that just must have been such a good feeling like I, I personally love when I can make impact and change and, and help people and I imagine you were getting a big dose of that pretty quickly yeah it was overwhelming for sure because I was 27 I was not very like long in my career at that point I'm teaching people of all ages like extremely successful people in many ways it was, I had no formal teach, training as a teacher. I mean, I, I was a TA at the University of Illinois in the journalism school. Like they didn't teach us how to teach. They taught us how to report. So I was completely making it up. I was just going to say, if you're 27, so you're about half the age of the average student you're teaching there. And then you mentioned you were teaching about 24. So right after you got out of school, how did that feel to be that age teaching? I mean, these college students are basically, what, two years younger than you? I, I feel like if it were me, I would have, I don't know if that's imposter syndrome, but like this idea of like, who am I to teach you? I am you. Like, you know? Yeah, I had actually, so I've been a couple of years out of school. I graduated early. So I graduated at 21 undergrad and then went to graduate school at the University of Illinois and left when I was just before I was 22 and moved to Washington. And I was a reporter at Time Magazine there. I was there for a couple of years and then came back to Chicago. And that was when I started teaching. So I had experience and that was why it was funny. DePaul actually um, offered me to teach first. Um, I had applied for an academic advising job because I just needed a full-time job to figure out life at that point. And the dean was like, you know, you're really qualified. Why don't you just teach graduate school? And I was like, what? <laughs> you're like, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> I'm like, you know how old I am, right? 
And uh, I think the first class I taught was undergrad and the second one, or I think it was a mix of undergrad and graduate students in that class, I think. Um, my, the, my favorite thing to do at those classes when I started each semester was I would sit in the classroom at the start with the students <laughs> and they didn't know where the professor was. <laughs> oh, wow. And then I would just get up and be like, okay, let's begin. It was such a funny thing. <laughs> I, it cracked what, me up. Why did you, did you do that because you wanted them to like you wanted to view each other more as equals or like what was the motivation behind that yeah exactly it was and in the beginning I mean I was I I had to wrestle with this because they were my in many cases especially in the grad school they were my age or older um and it was hard because I saw myself as their peer not their like you know professor um but I still had to like grade them (laughs) And that was hard. That was so hard because I hate grading. I don't believe in grading in the way that I teach. I think everybody learns in their own way and who am I to judge their right? Like it's hard to grade journalism. You can grade on like, okay, your facts are correct. You don't have any grammar errors. You turned it on time. Good job. And this seems objective in theory. Um, like that's all I could really grade on and like how nice they were. And, you know, did they participate in class? But. So, so you don't get any like not stage fright, but again, I'm thinking you're teaching kids who kids you're teaching college <laughs> students who are basically your age. Uh, look how old we are now that I'm calling college kids kids. Uh-huh. Um, so you're teaching uh, students who are basically your age, and then you know later on, a couple years later in your career, you're teaching students who are basically twice your age. But both of those situations, it sounds like you can just kind of not be affected. I'm not trying to suggest that you're not qualified to do that. I just feel like the average person would be almost have stage fright in those situations where they would be like, you know, who am I to do this? I don't know if they're listening to me. I don't know if they're going to respect me. I don't know if they're actually going to care what I have to say. You know, like they're going to see all these other perspectives that I'm, you know, I'm half their age or I am their age and why should they listen? But you, I get the sense that like you don't get affected by that kind of thing. I mean, I certainly have like my panic attacks for sure. <laughs> um, and like, oh my gosh, uh, freaking out in the bathroom maybe before a huge presentation and like, well, I don't have a choice, got to go. Um, but I think the headspace I get in, in those situations is like, I feel more like I'm just kind of like a, <sighs> I don't know what the right word is, almost like a vessel. Like I have this information. These people want this information. It can help them do better in the world. And lead more fulfilling lives. So I'm going to tell them what I know or what I've learned in the hopes that it'll help them make better decisions to lead better lives and be more impactful in their own. Like that's how I think about it. It's the only way I can think about it. Otherwise I'd get too egotistical. I like that because I think it suggests that you have a purpose and you have this something to share and that you can make an impact on them. I really like that way of viewing it. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, I think at the time in 20, when I was 27, I was really big on the Course in Miracles. Have you, Marianne Williamson, before she ran for president? Um, she wrote, what was the book? It was her famous book. It was one of her most famous books. It was a huge bestseller that Oprah endorsed. But the basic idea was like, you have a purpose in this in this life and you can use it for good or you can use it for your ego and you should always try to use it for good. And so at that time when those, I was teaching the classes at Trupino, I was like, okay, if, if I'm supposed to use this gift for good, what is the best possible good that I can do? 
And that was always what I thought about at the beginning of those really big classes. You know, I wonder, here's what I wonder. I, when I'm, I'm writing up notes for this and I'm kind of doing some research and I, I've, I'm familiar with your story in terms of like, you know, having been, what do we call it? Online acquaintances for years. Uh, apparently we were Facebook friends in 2010. So that's a decade now. Damn. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But so I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, compiling here and I'm looking at, um, you know, obviously, if you look, I, I love LinkedIn nowadays. So I'm looking at your LinkedIn, and like seven million people are recommending you because you've obviously impacted so many people. Uh, in 2016, your alma mater gives you a gold award, which stands for Graduate of the Last Decade. Uh, so it seems like they're honoring you for being someone graduating from their school that really, you know, made an impact on the world. Um, you know, you've worked at so many different news outlets: Fox News, Chicago Tribune, Time. I mean, just these big brand names. Um, you helped Chicago Tribune form a blog network a decade ago that was like, you know, the first of its kind. You strike me as a very confident person. And I don't mean this as like a confident, pompous person, but as a confident person. And maybe this comes from what you just described, but like who has their purpose, who knows their purpose, and who is not afraid to go for it. Um, that's a long way of asking, where do you find that confidence? <laughs> I think it comes in waves. I think I have some years of confidence and some years of like, oh God, did I just screw everything up? And who am I to think of any of this is right? (laughs) Um, Where did I get that confidence to begin with? Um, I think it's more just like I'm very strong-willed and I, I see how I think things should be. And I get very frustrated that they aren't that way. And so I want to fix them. (laughs) And in the beginning, especially when I was working at Chicago Now, um, I was so young. I was barely 24. Um, But you were teaching graduate classes. Oh, God. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I, I, Chicago Now, what I originally envisioned, so I, I, I helped create the idea for it. And what it is, ultimately, it's a blog network of hundreds of writers um, that's that is run by the Chicago Tribune, um, very similar to the Huffington Post. But the idea that I had for Chicago now back in 2008 was very different, actually. It wasn't that it was going to be a blog network at all. It was that it was going to be a some kind of social network um, that lived in the ecosystem of the Chicago Tribune. And what it would do was it would ingest user-generated content, UGC at the time they called it. I guess they still called that. Um, it would ingest UGC from across the Chicago Tribune's ecosystem of readers um, and then personalize their news based on where they were, what they were interested in, what they were doing, what their friends were doing. Ultimately, kind of what Facebook is, pretty much what Facebook is right now. Um, <laughs> but in a much more ethical way, I would say in my head. Um, but that was the idea I pitched the Tribune and I pitched it. I emailed a guy named Bill 80. Um, I was a reporter in the suburbs at a trip local, which was the user generated or citizen journalism version of Chicago Tribune. And I emailed this guy, Bill 80. And I was like, I have this idea. And he's like, can you come to my office today? And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> um, and I came downtown and I showed him my sketches of what I thought this thing would be. And he had sketches on the wall of what he thought his vision of something like it would be and and they were similar and so he's like you want to do this with me I'm like uh yes please and so we started creating Chicago Now with many other people and I was so young and I, I had this vision of what it could become only I, I, no, I now know that the technology wasn't there yet 
um, over 10 years later, but I knew what I wanted to become. I, I increasingly got frustrated that it wasn't that. And I, I think I acted very confidently, but some would say aggressively, bossily, annoyingly. And it was a very hard experience in many ways. So I think I've tempered that confidence with much more measured of how do we bring people together around this idea and how do we poke holes at this brilliant idea and bring in other brilliant ideas to make it even better. And I, I think that's a very long way of saying is, yes, there is confidence there, but there's also a lot of hard lessons along the way. It's almost like a different, like when people think of confidence, I think they do think of what you mentioned of, you know, I'm so confident in this idea. It's the perfect idea. It's not going to fail. There's nothing wrong with it. But like, I think you hinted at, there's really another level of confidence, which is that I'm confident in myself as a human. I understand that we make mistakes and that what I've thought of is not perfect. And I welcome the help of others, but I'm confident that we can kind of do this together and that I can help guide us. You know, it's not so much about being right, I guess, but more about just understanding my place and my role and what I have to offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. But I don't think I realized that right away. Like at the time with Chicago Now, like a lot of things went sideways um, and it's been written about and how things went sideways, especially the first couple of years. Um, and I was very angry after that, very angry. And um, at one point I disagreed with how um, one of our bloggers, um, he had written a post that was considered um, racist actually. And um, we had to make a decision of whether or not we should take down this blog post because the Chicago media community, the newsroom of the Tribune, Twitter, everyone was piling on us. Like how could we host a racist blogger? And he, he wasn't, he was a he was an undercover Chicago police or not Chicago police officer undercover not undercover anonymous cop anonymous cop in the suburbs um, writing about racial profiling and and from a cop's perspective, and he wrote some things in there that were cons- were insensitive I think um, but it wasn't our guidelines were as such was that we were going to stand behind our bloggers and you know really let them have their own free voice. Um, ultimately decided to pull the post, um, and I disagreed with it. And because it felt like if we didn't have this one bloggers back, were we not going to have any of our bloggers backs? And I ended up asking to be, um, placed in a different department because I just, I couldn't be the editorial director of this website with this, like inability to stand behind what I believed in. Um, so then he moved me to our agency 435, which is where I started doing the classes. So... It was a hard fit. I actually, I went back a few months ago and reread all the write-ups about that time to try to kind of sort out what happened because I've always been very frustrated with how it all kind of shit shook out. Yeah, that must have been really rough, especially you creating this together. And, you know, it was an idea you had and you brought this to life from nothing. Um, to have to be, to, to not, you know, to not like get kicked out of it, but to actually have to tell yourself, I need to step aside from this. It's beyond what I can handle right now or what I can impact. And it doesn't sit right with me. I, I, you know, in some ways that's almost, I think worse than if something had happened and you were like forced out or something, you know what I mean? Like it's yourself telling yourself, like you have to move on from this. Yeah, it was it was a tough lesson. And I've, I've struggled too for years talking about it because, I mean, it was such a public experience. Um, 
I was very much harassed on Twitter personally by other journalists at other publications. It was, it was, um, actually very traumatizing to some degree. Um, I know that now. And I, I feel like in this new role with my current company, I, I feel very compelled to talk about what that experience is like. Um, and also how to learn from it and, and, and move forward in a different kind of way. Yeah, that's, that's tough. I didn't, you know, I, I remember Chicago now being here in Chicago and being a part of the, the tech community back then. Um, I definitely remember it. I don't remember how it disappeared and all that. So this is all kind of new information to me and that's, yeah, wow. I just, uh, I can't imagine. I mean, it still exists. It's, it's very, I mean, the site does exist now. Um, it never went away. Um, it's just the Tribune didn't um, put as much behind it over the years because it had other projects as well. So it became one of many. I think. Yeah, and yeah. sure. And if it's been a decade, I mean, I just mean, you know, think so much has just changed in general in the past decade that I'm sure, you know, they've changed how they view that site. Yeah. Decade is a long time in general, but in like news and tech decades, like, man, a couple decades. <laughs> <laughs> Very long millennium. Speaking of, of decades, um, I found this really interesting that uh, when you when you turn 32, and by the way, th- this is now starting to suggest how old you are. I apologize if, <laughs> if you don't want... I'm 35. If, if you, okay. Okay. I didn't want to... As I said that, I was like, I don't know actually if she wants me telling people how old she is. Um, I, okay, cool. So now we know. <laughs> but so when you turn 32, you reflected upon uh, how you thought that by 32 you would be a foreign correspondent so like you know years before you turned 32 you envisioned the future you turning 32 would be a foreign correspondent and when you were reflecting on this at 32 you realized you're living back home with your parents and things are obviously different than the past you had a vision of and i'm just really curious like what that reflection felt like for you when you were I think it was a Facebook post you sat down and wrote on your 32nd birthday, this quick little reflection. Um, Cause just to be perfectly honest, I have that all the time. I, you know, as much as it pains me, I think there's a lot of dreams I have yet to achieve that I thought I would have by now. And so when I think your post really connected with me, I'm just curious like how you felt about that. Um, Cause it's something I think about myself all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that post when I was 32, I think that would have been 2000. 16, um, I was just receiving the gold award at Dominican and I had to give a speech. Um, and it was a, a speech that I decided to talk about was what had happened in the last 10 years. And, um, I had given one of the speeches at graduation, t- uh, 10 years earlier. And I was talking about all my hopes of becoming a journalist and all this like stuff I was going to do. And it was like a reflection 10 years later. I'm like, well, it didn't quite happen like I planned. Um, And in the speech, I talked a lot about the whole focus of the speech was kind of the implosion of journalism. Um, It really was about how in 10 years I had been through nine, nine rounds of layoffs between layoffs at Time Magazine, layoffs at the Chicago Tribune and layoffs at um, Crane Communications where I later worked. Um, And I think it was about how I had these grand hopes and then journalism kind of took a side turn and then I did with it. And my life looked nothing like what I thought it would because those jobs were largely gone. They closed foreign bureaus all over the world um, during the recession. And those jobs aren't coming back like they used to. 
and I was living at home for a while um, with my family and it just like did not feel at all like I thought it would. But in that experience, in the experience in the layoffs and the tumultuousness of the media and all of that, I, I learned so much about humanity and grace in pressure and, and being as good a person as you can in spite of incredible odds and difficult situations. And so, and also, you know, staying humble and realizing like maybe things won't turn out the way you will, but you, the way you want them to, but you, you just have to find your way forward. And I think that's what I was reflecting on, if I can remember that. Does that sound right? You know, it does to me. I also wonder, I wonder about this myself, like, I think we all do this, right? Like at a certain age, we look into the future and kind of think about what we will be as a human then. And then when then comes, maybe it's not 100% where, what we thought it would be, right? There's some percentage of it we achieved, but probably not all of it. And I wonder how much of that is this idea of we just don't know any better when we're younger. Like, there's that song, I wish that I knew what I know now. When I was younger, I forgot who it's by. I love that you're um, singing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's, that's the only way I could remember it. Um, and I think about that because then I think about, okay, if that's true, if 22-year-old Tracy thought about 32-year-old Tracy and when 32-year-old Tracy became 32-year-old Tracy, she's like, okay, I haven't achieved everything or not that anything, but you've achieved a ton by 32, so I shouldn't say that. But it was just different than you envisioned it. And maybe part of that was definitely the journalism world being different than you thought. And it, you know, it took different routes that you never could have imagined. But part of it also might have just been like, you don't know what life's going to be like. So us, the Tim and Tracy of today, like, do we not know enough that the 10 years from now, Tim and Tracy are going to be like, well, they didn't know any better. That's <laughs> what I wonder about. <laughs> I mean, it's constantly, right? We're always growing. And yeah, exactly. around us is changing. I think where I get caught up, where I used to get caught up anyway, is like, the idea of emotional growth, like there are some people who are like 22 and they're like so emotionally mature and strong and aware. And then there are people who are 22 that are like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and I think I struggled with that for a long time. Like, I, I, I think I need to grow more. And that was hard work. That was a hard time growing in that way. Did you feel like you weren't, like you you consciously recognize that, oh, I need to grow more emotionally and then you took steps to do that? Or was it like over time you looked back and were like, oh, maybe that's what it was. I wasn't emotionally grown enough. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. I mean, books, therapy, meditating, journaling, retreats, everything, anything you could do. I, I'm done. Pretty much. Maybe not drugs. No. No hallucinogens or anything like that. Um, but other than that, uh, pretty much everything. Um, I also went through some really hard times in the last couple of years, um, just like personal stuff. And, and there was a, a while, like probably about a year, where I was just very, very, very depressed. Very depressed. And part of it was um, was just I got prescribed the wrong meds. Um, I have ADD. And that happened and it just kind of sent me into this spiral of depression. And it, I kind of oddly am now grateful for it because as dark as it was, 
it allowed me a totally different perspective of what mental illness is and, and can be. Um, and it also allowed me to see what social media is doing to us, especially in our darkest moments. Um, and that's really where I got the kind of the new purpose of, of relaunching socially authentic in a different way. Um, and, and being something I'm really passionate about now, um, is this idea of how do we be our best selves online and off. I love that so much. When I saw that you were relaunching this with, with that kind of idea, um, that just struck me because I really, man, this concept of emotional growth, you you talk about therapy and, you know, just the, the idea of emotional growth and all the tools you can experiment with to see what works for you and to help yourself grow the past, I don't know, 18 months. That's all I've thought about. Not necessarily like intentionally, but I've realized that emotional growth is what it's all about. And it's something that I didn't pay attention to myself throughout my entire life. And until recently, um, and now that's kind of, you know, I think that's part of what this podcast is, is it's a way for me to emotionally grow and hopefully help others do the same. But I think at the end of the day, I'm probably just trying to learn from you. Um, We're all and, learning you from know, each other, man. <laughs> seriously, that's, that's, that's what I learned. And it's such a simple concept, but like, that's so true. Like to me, that's all that matters anymore is that, and that's what frustrates me. And I'm no, I don't want to talk about politics or war or any of that, but I always kind of phrase it when the aliens finally come and they find earth and they come down and they land and they just look around and notice that there's just a whole planet of this species that are just trying to basically destroy each other. It makes no sense, right? Cause like we could be growing together and we spend too much of our effort doing the opposite um, for so many reasons. I mean, we're so flawed as creatures, but um, See- I have so many thoughts on this and we could go on a tangent. I feel like this is a different episode, but I think the aliens are coming back because oh. have you seen ancient aliens, the show? No, but I've been hearing, it's not like Netflix, right? I mean, it is or, now. Yeah. It was on like the history channel or something. Yeah. I've been hearing about this recently. Oh, it's amazing. I haven't seen it though. You need to watch it. I won't give it away. I won't give it away. <laughs> Did you just give it away though? Cause you said they're coming I mean, back. <laughs> that's the whole concept. Ancient aliens civilized or like civilized. Uh, created us on earth and then they left or maybe they're still here and we don't know where they are and well this is gonna blow my mind it's amazing okay we're talking about course in miracles we're talking about ancient aliens this is great (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um regarding humanity i see at times i get very frustrated and i feel the same way like we're all killing each other but then i like flip it i'm like yeah but we're also all helping each other like there's so much good in the world. And, and that's really what I choose to focus on. Because if you, if I choose to focus on the negative, reading like the Drudge Report, which is what I do because I'm a former journalist. I mean, like the world feels like it's going to blow up any minute. But then like you go outside, like today I went, you know, running on the lakefront path in Chicago because it was 50 degrees in February and that's what you do. And apparently the entire city did. And everybody was just so happy and like taking each other's photos on the like lakefront and like just very outgoing and I was just like those are the moments where you're like okay we're gonna figure this out I love that and I so agree with you there is so much good in the world and I think it really is about changing perspective and that's where I think that emotional growth comes into play I mean like you mentioned therapy and this is something new to me like I in my entire life never had any therapy and 
I guess I might say I never had a reason to, but now I realize that you don't have to have a reason to. Just living is reason to mm-hmm. have therapy. Um, until, you know, my ex-wife and I, we got divorced last year, but we started couples therapy before that. So that was my first introduction to therapy. And then like, it was so impactful for me. I mean, obviously it didn't like, quote unquote, save the marriage, but that was not necessarily, that doesn't mean it failed. Like I actually think it very much succeeded, but after that I started, well, during that, and then after I started doing my own individual therapy and I still do today. And like, I think about this every time because, and I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes like, because I was doing it weekly and now I think I'm going to do it every other week. And sometimes I would think, you know, I don't really have anything to talk about this week. And I just don't, I'm not in the mood. I don't feel like going. And like, it would be too late. You know, you got to cancel within 24 hours. So I couldn't cancel. And I would go and afterward I would be so rejuvenated. And I'd say, Tim, remember this is like when you have a cold and you take medicine and it makes you feel better. This is your medicine for just life. It's your pill. Like just regardless of how you feel before. And if you don't feel like you quote unquote need therapy this week, just go take the medicine. You're going to feel better. You do every time. And that just like blows my mind. Cause I think, you know, I'm, I'm your age. I'm turning 35 in a couple of weeks. And it's like, how many years of medicine did I miss out on where I could have, I don't know, what what paths could I have taken had I taken some of this great medicine? Oh my gosh, so many thoughts. I feel like it's more like a vitamin. That's better, vitamin, thank you. Right? Medicine makes it sound like something's wrong. You're right, it's like a supplement. It's, it's empowering you, just like yeah. a, a supplement would. But it's totally true. Although there can come a point where there's too much therapy, and I've been there. So there comes a point, at least in my experience, like you're like, okay, I feel like I'm overanalyzing. I need to just stop for a moment and just go and live and be present and grow on my own, independent of therapy. That was my experience. Maybe yours is maybe you've an amazing therapist and it's very great and will continue that way. Um, Everybody has different therapy experiences. Yeah, no, I very much agree with what you said, because I think part of the reason I've switched myself to like every other week is I'm like, okay, like, thank you therapist you have helped me grow so much that now like i still need that vitamin but i don't need it as often like my body can now survive a little bit better on its own without the vitamin every week so no i, I totally agree with you like i i don't tr- I, i'm really bad at thinking about the future future uh, i think more about the present so like i don't know you know maybe doing therapy for the rest of my life i have no idea <laughs> but I could, I could see where like over time it would be something that would continue to like at least as of now, I could see it starting to like stretch out where it's every other week, every couple of weeks. Like, like you said, every week to me now feels a little bit overkill, like too many vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. So you, um, speaking of uh, just all the, the good in the world, uh, I do want to congratulate you. You got engaged last year. So in 2019. Um, Thank you. I think that's got to be such a... Oh my gosh, just a exciting time. How did, how did that feel? I mean, you mentioned that you've had, you know, in the past couple of years, some dark moments and, you know, life is, is life. Uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, I can't speak for you, but I imagine that this person is a, you know, not an anchor, that's the wrong metaphor, like lifeboat, like someone you can <laughs> lean on. I'm just, you know, I think about this journey of life and I'm like, oh, I think Tracy found that person that is going to be her partner in this journey through life. And, but again, I, you know, I'm not projecting here. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time coming. Um, he's amazing. His name is Rob. His last name is Goodhart, which is just, I mean, you can't make that up, Tim. You just, you can't. 
That's pretty um, amazing. It's it's amazing. It really is. Uh, I, I actually, and he's not on social media, which is hilarious. <laughs> so when we let, met, let me ask met, you this: Do you like that he's not on social media? I have very mixed opinions about this, and he knows this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we okay. Have this, we have this new this new routine where at the end of the day, I'll give him the social media update <laughs> because I'm friends with all of his friends on, on Facebook and Instagram, all of them. And he's not. <laughs> so I have to tell him like, Oh, Lucy did this or, Oh, Kim did this. And Oh, whatever, whoever did this. And he's like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, thanks for telling me. And then I tell him what I did on social media. Like, well, I'm like, Rob, I wrote about this on social media today and everybody has opinions and these are their opinions. And what do you think? And it's, it's hilarious. Sometimes it feels like show and tell. <laughs> That's so um, funny. It's, but it's such a good perspective because where I'm focusing now is this space of like um, digital wellness and, and social media mental health. And so him not being on it allows me to see what it's like when you're not affected by social media and you're completely independent of it. So it's a very helpful perspective, um, which is very great. So yeah, so <sighs> it's, fu- um, it's funny that you of all people, I mean, you know, someone who's you know to some extent made a career out of social media and really you, you talk about that vessel that you have and that the gift you have to give. I think very much has been around social media. So it's very ironic that you know you found that person that is somewhat the opposite, but yeah, might be a good thing. I think it is a good thing. And that's part of, I mean, I'm writing this book um, about social media and digital wellness. And a huge part of the book is like just getting off social media and like disconnecting regularly, like daily. Um, and like all the things you should do when you're not on social media. So, and he's really helped inform that perspective, which is great. When you write that book, I need to let me know so I can get it one of those, you know, pre-sell copies because I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And the reason I asked you if, you enjoyed that your fiance is not on social media is because like, so what I noticed is like entering the dating scene in the past like six months, the dating apps for the first time. And I found one I like, and it's pretty fruitful. I noticed that any dating I'm doing, and this is just coincidence, I think I have not been connecting with the people on social media. We will just go from the dating app to eventually probably texting if it's progressing. And that's kind of like our communication method. And when I realized this, again, not intentionally doing it, um, all of a sudden I'm like, I really like this. I love that there's no social media involved, that we just have an actual one-to-one connection, both in person and then one-to-one texting. And and I don't know if that's weird, but I, I was curious, you know, that's where I was coming from with that question of like, oh, I wonder if you felt that way, you know, especially since you're all over social media again with your career uh, with Rob. But I, I've noticed that. I, I do feel like it's, I'm torn. There are so many great ways to connect on this planet with people via social media, but like, and that's why I'm really curious about your book now. Like you said, there's so many ways to also just get lost in almost a nothingness. Oh yeah. Oh my stars. Um, I didn't know if Rob was real when I first matched with him. <laughs> right? You, like because I'm, he had no online presence. Nothing. I mean, oh, zero. I had did you think he a, was like a not a criminal, but like some sort of like bot? I don't know. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. I did a background check on him before I went out with him. 
Wait, I'm okay, such a have... journalist. I'm such a journalist. That's also, I was going to say, that's also, and honestly, I mean, it's not the worst idea in the world. Benverified.com, right? like, $29 a month. Like seriously, when you're in a dating <laughs> app, so worth it. I mean, seriously, so worth it. Yeah, honestly, I think that's really not that odd of a thing to do. I mean, I don't know. But um, that is kind of a journalist thing, I suppose. <laughs> I'm totally a journalist thing. I'm like, I know his address of his parents. It's just a little weird, right? <laughs> Um, but so you didn't think he was real? No, his name was Robert Goodhart, and he doesn't have an <laughs> online presence in 2018. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This kind of sounds like a early Tom Hanks movie or something. <laughs> it's a total rom com. Um, but yeah, dating apps—they're a strange, strange thing. Um, I remember when Tinder first came out. It was 2013 here in Chicago when it came to Chicago. And at the time, I was a frequent uh, guest on ABC in Chicago talking about like social media trends. And they had me come on TV to talk about this new thing called Tinder. (laughs) Oh, wow. And I remember telling the producer, I'm like, we're not talking about my Tinder profile. Like, no. Like, or my (laughs) life on on Tinder. I'm like, I'll take screenshots and we can talk about how I set up an account to understand the platform better, but we are not talking about it. And Judy Sue, God bless her, like she is the anchor and she and I are sitting there live and she's just asking me questions about the app, how it works. And then she like slips in and you're on it, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's great. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just bust out laughing. I'm like, I was not going to talk about this. And then I'm like, it's great. It's awesome. Everyone should do it. <laughs> and see. Um, oh, wow. So funny. But everything's changed since then. I mean, that was really the turning point was Tinder back in 2013. So, yeah, it's a whole new world. It really is. I mean, uh, you know, I, I basically, like my ex-wife and I, we out of high school, got well, we, we didn't get married in high school. <laughs> we met <laughs> at the end of high school and dated throughout college. And then after college, got married. And, um, so, you know, we've been together a very long time. And then, you know, entering the dating world now, I think both of us were like, wait, what's going on? Like there's websites and apps. And uh, like you said, it's just, uh, it's even since I think the past few years, like we said Tinder was 2013. So yeah, even the past seven years, it's amazing what's changed. Yeah. And it's, it's a weird, like Bella Gandhi here in Chicago does the smart dating Academy. You should definitely check out her stuff. Cause she talks a lot about this in her, her website when she's on TV, um, all about like social media and dating. Cause they're very intersected. Um, she's very good advice. Um, but the one thing that I found when I was dating um, before I met Rob was just like, when do you like become social media friends, right? Like how many dates before you follow them on Instagram? And when do you become friends on Facebook? Like, where is that line, right? And what do you do if you break up? Do you unfriend them? Do you unfollow? Like, right? Yeah. Sorry, am I making you more anxious now? Sorry. No, no. These are <laughs> questions that are running through my head, and also like what, like what, uh, social media networks, right? Like, do I friend them on everyone? Do we only friend on like the one we're most active on, or like the you know, like it's. <sighs> and then, oh. what do you like? Like, are you supposed to like all of her photos? Like, are you supposed to view her Instagram stories, or should you give her space? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but see, this is why I think I enjoy not connecting. Like again, I didn't do this intentionally, but thus far, it's just like I don't even think about it uh-huh. because I don't know. I think I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm reflecting now. Like maybe 
I view social media in general as like less of a deep connection. So I'm like, let's just go an actual deep connection. Let's not like fool around with this like surface level, like networks. Like we already, we live in the same city, maybe even near each other. We have each other's phone number. Like why even, I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> I think it's helpful to like give context to the person. Like uh, always to like who they are and what they're like, their friends and family and just what they enjoy. Right. Which is a totally like PC way of saying like, stalk them. (laughs) Yeah, It's just like, who are you? What were you doing five years ago? Who are your friends? Like, what's your family like? Like, what do you like? What do you talk about? Right. You, you get a better profile or understanding of that person. That's a fair point. Can be why though you'd be hesitant to have them see that. Because you grow. Oh, to age. have them see your. Yeah, you're like. Yeah, totally yeah, that's true. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man, this is. <laughs> this has turned into dating advice, but I'm very much a fan of it. <laughs> it's not so much advice; it's more like things to think about. Yeah, that's true. I this all this all reminds me of, so socially authentic. You're you're launching this. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, this is a consultancy of you helping people, and it sounds like more of kind of business people and executive level, but helping folks understand how to be more authentic online, both in their professional and personal lives. Um, what I'm curious about is, here's my my complete out of the blue hypothesis is, and you please correct me if I'm off base here is that maybe you felt like you weren't authentic yourself for some period of your life and then you decided that authenticity online or maybe being a little bit more raw can be a positive thing and then you decided, oh, well, if this worked for me, I want to help others. Is is any of that on base? all of it. Except it took like five years after I named the company to come around that conclusion. Well, that's, that's okay. It's a great name. I mean, no, it's it's actually what happened. This is hilarious. Going back to therapy, I thought of the name for socially authentic in therapy five years ago. <laughs> um, so I was at the time I just launched my new company, which essentially became socially authentic. And I was talking to my therapist who who trained with Brene Brown to give context. So she's I. Very- I'm not interrupting you, but Brene Brown, I just discovered in the past year, and I'm like her number one fan now. Sorry. She's amazing. Yes. So Brene Brown was really hitting really pretty big about at this time. Anyway, so we're talking about vulnerability and shame and all that stuff. And I was saying to my therapist, I was just like, I hate that I have to pretend that everything is great and I have so much business and everything is roses. Like, I hate being like, signed a new client today. Everything's great. Here I am at Soho House living my best life as an entrepreneur. When in fact, I was like pulling my hair out and having panic attacks and hiding under blankets. Like that was reality. And I was just like, I want to be authentic online. And she's like, well, why don't you? Like, I can't do that. I can't tell people what my life is really like. They'll never hire me. They'll, I'll never work again. And she's like, maybe, or, or maybe you'll be surprised and it'll be radically different. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then I went home and I'm like, I'm GoDaddy trying to name my company. And I'm like, authentic, authentic, socially authentic. Oh, that name must be $5,000. No, it was $6.99 and GoDaddy. <laughs> yes. So I, I, so I bought it not knowing what it was. And then I didn't change anything. Like I was like, Oh great. I have this name social authentic, but 
totally didn't change anything. And I had to go through really pretty much hell to get to the other side to be like, there has to be a different way. Like there has to be something in this name and in this like all these things that I've experienced and learned in the last five years that I can use to help people. And ultimately that's, that's, I'm relaunching the company with a completely different focus, which is before it was just a social media company. And I helped companies understand how to technically use social media, like from a, like a corporate training perspective, like this is how to create a Facebook page and this is how to increase your organic reach and all that stuff. And now it's much more, it is exclusively focused on the individual person. So how can I, as an executive or an entrepreneur or an artist, um, how can I personally use social media and other digital platforms to make a bigger impact in my career, but also to have a more fulfilling life? Um, So I'm starting to do that primarily through the studio, which essentially is similar to a personal branding company, um, but I don't like the concept of or the name personal branding. And then there's also going to be retreats and workshops on digital wellness as well. I am so excited for this. And I think part of it's because I think I've been going through this probably the past year and a half, like definitely becoming, growing more, growing more emotionally, becoming more authentic as a person, but then also bringing that to the social, the online sphere. LinkedIn for me has been this... place of authenticity i guess it's it's become now speaking to you i realize a socially authentic place in my eyes in the past six months i've seen other people just sharing information and i love it i don't want to hear i do want to hear the business stuff but like to your point i don't want to hear all the celebrations and all that when i know there's other things going on like i've talked to enough people now i've grown enough emotionally i know you're going through shit i want to hear about the shit like I want to hear about that. I want to also hear about the money you raised, but I want to hear about the sleepless nights or the problem with your wife or your children's soccer game going wrong or whatever. And I feel like more people want this now. I've seen it all over LinkedIn. And like, I'm going all in on this. Like, I'm just like, cause so, I thought about this the other day. Someone was like, well, you know, this is a place for, you know, professionals and where you, you know, you're going to hire a new job. And I thought to myself, well, I mean, like I, I've had a, the job I've had now, I've had for about almost seven years and it, I like it. And if for some reason in the future I am looking for a job, I want them to know me. I don't want mm-hmm. them to know like the highlights me. I want them to just know like this is Tim the human. Like he's going to be that human at your company. And I don't know if I, you know, I'm also might be going too far into it, but I'm just like long way of saying, I'm so excited for what you're doing, Tracy. Cause I think so being coming just more authentic, but especially socially authentic is something we need so badly right now as a people. Yes. Amen. Oh, my stars. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad that you see this. And and I think it's interesting, like, we're the same age. So essentially digital natives-ish on the border with the Oregon Trail generation. But we've been growing in, with it for so long that we've seen all sides of it. And now we're like, okay, there has to be a different way, right? And so you and I and all of our peers are like, how do we find our way to something better, right? And I, yeah. I think we're making it, or clearly make it up as we go, <laughs> but like you're finding what works for you. I'm finding what works for me and everybody else is as well. And I think that's great. So, and it may change and it will change. And that's part of what I write in the book is who you are right now is how you should be thinking about using social media. And in five years, you have evolved clearly as we all do. 
And you may change your perspective and be like, you know what? I, I don't want to share everything as much right now. Like I'm good. Or I'm going to go over here and, and do things on TikTok or whatever the thing is. You know, it changes and it should change because we change. Yes. It's, it's an ebb and flow. I think that's such an important part of it. Just emotional growth and growth in general is the acknowledgement and understanding that what works today might not work tomorrow. It might work again in the future, but like being open to that up and down and constant evolution and not thinking, okay, I've fixed my problem today. This solution is going to be the solution for eternity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. There is a thought about my name. We never got to that and it's related. So at the beginning, you were like, are you Tracy or Tracy Samantha, right? Or Tracy yes, Samantha thank Schmidt. you for bringing us back because we never addressed that. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the listeners are like, is her name Tracy? Tracy what? Like, Who is um, this? <laughs> Who is this person? Who should I Google? But it's exactly about Google. So when I was a reporter at Time Magazine back in 2006, uh, my byline when I started was Tracy Schmidt. And at the time, the spokesman for the Republican National Party um, was also named Tracy Schmidt. And so I would call the RNC and I'd be like, I need to speak to Tracy Schmidt. And they'd be like, well, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Tracy Schmidt from Time Magazine. Or I'm, I'm like, I'm Tracy Schmidt. And they're like, no, who do you want to speak to? I'm like, Tracy Schmidt. <laughs> and we just went in circles. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, my search results are going to be the same as the spokesman for the RNC. How do I feel about this? Not good. Okay. So as a journalist, I'm like, I need to do something different. So then I submitted a story one day for the magazine and I put my middle name in my byline. <laughs> and my editor has like the proofs of a magazine and he shows them to me. He's like, Tracy, your name takes up an entire line of print. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, and is this a problem? And he just rolled his eyes because this was Jay Carney and his name is like literally what eight characters. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, whatever. He thinks I'm an entitled millennial. <laughs> but it stuck. And I just started using Tracy Samantha Schmidt because I'm like, if people Google me, I want them to find the Mimi, not like the other Tracy Schmidt's out there. And so I just started doing SEO on my name without knowing that's what it was at the time. And it so works it because does. it works because all the research <laughs> I did, just you know, just my communication with you, me, me, the notes I've put together here, what I've written your name, all the research I wanted to do to prepare for a conversation, googling you, and all that. Just you in my mind, you are Tracy Samantha Schmidt. Like it has been drilled and burned in my brain just from you know, knowing you online. So it works. Thanks. Yeah, but all the other Tracy Schmitz have to fight it out. Right? Well, you were the one that thought of it first, right? But I mean, they have to like name them. It's interesting, like John Smith's of the world, how they distinguish themselves. But it's really, it's so, there's so many facets of being online that we have to think about, you know, like how does, how do people like make themselves stand out online, really? It's, yeah. And there's this whole, like, I don't even want to think about my children eventually entering, you know, online and all that. And like how they, like, I'm not the one, you know, I know there's people out there like kids born, they get the Gmail account and they're doing stuff and like, I haven't done any of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I haven't figured this out yet. I, they can figure it out when it's time. <laughs> like, I'll just leave it to you. Yeah. Like it'll be a different world. Yeah. <laughs> You, um, on your, I think it was on your Instagram, you posted, you took a selfie 
and you posted your selfie and you mentioned that, you know, you actually thought selfies, now you were thinking that selfies are actually probably one of the most vulnerable pieces of content that we could create. And I'm looking at this, Tracy, and I was like, oh, wow, she's absolutely right. Like at that moment, it clicked for me because of what you said. Because in my mind, I'm not a selfie person. Now, granted, I've done it more recently. And I wonder if it's because of what you said, like it's more (laughs) vulnerable and I want to be more vulnerable. But in my history of being online as a digital native or whatever we are, I never liked selfies because I am not the type of person in my head. This is what I was saying. I'm not the type of person that likes to brag or like shine the light on me or anything like that. And I felt like selfies did that. It's like, hey, look at me in my fancy moment. I want you to come look at me. And like my, ever since I saw your post about selfies, my perspective on that has completely changed now. And like, I'm pro selfie. Hooray. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm still, I I am pro selfie, but at the same time, I'm like, not there yet. Like I can't like, I feel like every fifth post is a selfie maybe. Um, I, yeah, there. I'm thinking about because I almost posted a selfie today, and then I was like, I don't like my hair. <laughs> well, here, here's what I mean by pro selfie. I don't necessarily mean, yeah. They're like, wait a second, we gotta, you know, get the hair and makeup in here first. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like I'm suggesting create like or post selfies all the time or create a feed of posts of, of selfies. But here's here's an example. I, long story short, but I accidentally promised my daughter that we're gonna go to the Sears Tower this weekend. Um, so we went this morning. Accidentally. Just accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, uh, my son was at a sleepover. Uh, so her and I had some time together. And when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, we were joking about going to Sears Tower. I forgot about it. She did not. And <laughs> I was like, this could be awesome. I haven't been up there. I've never been on the ledge. I think I was on the sky deck like a million years ago. She's never been up there. She's fearless. So we go up there this morning. It was a blast. It was a perfectly clear day. Like you said earlier, it's 50 degrees in Chicago, sun all day, no clouds. And we're up there. We look around out the windows. We go on the ledge. Uh, if you're not familiar with Sears Tower, you basically go out of the tower and stand on glass over mm-hmm. 100 stories up. It's amazing. And a couple times while we're up there, I thought to myself, and I did, I want to take a selfie with her. And she was all excited because uh, you know she knows about selfies. And um, I, But I was excited to do this because being pro-selfie now... I realize this is a great way to capture this moment. It's not a selfish way to capture this moment. It's not a look at me in this fancy moment way to capture the moment, but it's a a great way to capture this moment for her and I to look back on. Um, I, I just, I realized if I were to take a picture of just her, which I did plenty of, that wouldn't be the same as if the two of us together in that photo you know, capturing that moment. So that's what I mean by pro selfie. It was like in the past oh, me yeah. would never have taken that selfie. They would have been like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, that's, that's a uh, pompous and selfish. But um, today I was like, oh yeah, this is a perfect way to do this. Oh, that's so beautiful. And now you have that memory. Yeah, that's in true. A photo of it's, the two yeah. of you. Exactly. And like, obviously you could have someone else take a picture of you, but there's something to that kind of like, you know, oh, we're in this together, you know, holding our arm out and smile, make wacky face, whatever. Yes. It's such a cool photo. Interestingly enough, I, uh, when I was out this morning or this afternoon running, I went by the soccer field in Lincoln Park by the beach. And there was these, like, I was taking a picture of like the soccer field from the, ver- from the ground up so you could see the skyline. 
And I didn't realize it, but they were like these two little boys in the photo and they were playing soccer with their dad. And it was this amazing action shot. Like the one kid was like kicking the ball in the air and the other one was catching and the dad had his arms up. It was beautiful. Oh, and so wow. then I just like walk over to the dad. I'm like, I just took this photo and you guys are in it. I think you would like it as a family. And he's like, oh, here's my phone number. And then like later he texts him. He's like, this is an amazing photo. Thank you. You know, it's so cool that we have the technology that we can do that now. Well, and also, A, thank you for doing that. I mean, as a dad, you totally, like, that's such a great memory and photo he'll have now that B, what I was going to say is like, this is what I love about you, Tracy. Like, you raised your hand, you stood up, and like, I can make an impact on them. I'm going to. That's so nice. Thank you for doing that. Aw, you're welcome. Of course, he could have been like, you're a total creep. Don't take photos of my kids. I mean, it could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> it just worked out well in that way. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking about the research I was doing and just kind of like, you know, when I do these podcast interviews, I really like to just kind of, A, really understand the story I want to tell. But a lot of times the story just comes about. Um, but B, just really get to know the people. And, you know, something I found just to me, this kind of like, to me is the symbol of what, I, in my mind, it's what you've achieved, just the amazing work you've done in your 35 years. But, um, as I was Googling Tracy Samantha Schmidt, I ended up on the OKCupid Wikipedia article. Oh and my the God. reason, yeah, what led me there was you, so a Time article you wrote, and therefore your name, Tracy Samantha Schmidt, are a source for that Wikipedia article. At the very bottom where you have the sources, there's an article by you with the link and your name is there. I don't yep. know if you know this, but that's an amazing claim to fame in any Wikipedia article, but it's pretty cool. It's OKCupid. Um, that's so cool. I ha- thank you. I have an even funnier one that you're going to be like jaw drop. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. Um, so right a couple weeks before that article ran, because that article must have been February of 2007. Um, because I did a Valentine's Day special for Time on like online dating. Um, my editors gave me a press release, and they're like, "We need you to check this out and write a story." And I'm like, "Okay." And they're like, it was a press release announcing the launch of a mysterious new website called wikileaks.org. <laughs> and what? yes, yes, yes. January 2007, I believe. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write about other things, whatever. Okay, fine. Of course I'm going to do it. It's my job. And I'm, like, I'm trying to like, like vet this story and like figure out who's behind this website. And I'm like talking to privacy experts and we're like trying to sort it out. And I think in the end of the article, I wrote something like, "It's while it's unclear who is behind this new website, it is most likely going to affect or it's the future of the freedom of information or something like that. Okay. <laughs> Flash forward to like the Edward Snowden stuff. And when the whole like articles drop, like, on the homepage of WikiLeaks, they quoted my article. <laughs> no! Yes, at the top. <laughs> like Time Magazine calls us the future of the freedom of information. Yeah, my editor. Oh like, my gosh, congrats. <laughs> it was so weird. My editor emailed me like years, like we weren't working together anymore. He's like, hey, you're on WikiLeaks. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it was so funny. It felt like, it feels like Forrest Gump sometimes being a journalist. You're just like in these weird places watching history. <laughs> So it's a great yeah. way to describe it. I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. So yeah. you're on at least wow. 
I'm, I'm just smiling here. What a, that's just cool. You know, like I said, that vessel you have, that impact you're making right there. Yeah, it was cool. I was asking you earlier about the, the socially authentic and kind of my hypothesis of why you created it. What I'm curious about is, so you mentioned, I, I was talking about how, you know, if you felt like at some point you weren't very authentic and it came up during therapy and that's where the kind of the name came from. Why, why did you feel the need to become more authentic online? Like what was kind of the impetus of that or what was the, what built up to that? Do you mean now or like when I first came up with the name? Yeah. Like kind of, I mean, I would say now, cause now you're actually going to put it in, like you're going to help others with it. Like what, what has built up to this? What has built up to like, I, you know, you're telling yourself, I don't think I've been authentic enough. I want to be more authentic. I'm going to be. What yeah. was the build up? I think it, like I mentioned earlier, like I had depression that was largely caused by the wrong meds, which is a very scary thing. Um, and I was in this very deep, dark place for a long time. And I would just get in this habit of scrolling social media and obviously seeing highlight reels, which is what we call them now, but like of everyone else's seemingly perfect life of like people who were getting married and buying houses and having, getting promoted to incredible jobs and, and living their best lives. And I'm like, you know, single living with my parents in my thirties being like, where did I go wrong? How did I screw this all up? And it was just a very dark place. And I was like, you know, we need to talk about what's going on here. Like, I can't be the only one who's having this like really bad reaction to social media because I am not in a great place. And I just started talking to people over the last year and they're like, oh my God, me too. And then I, I talked to my friend Jeff and he um, it's just like, Tracy, like people post these photos on social media that they seem to have perfect lives. And then I'm literally Facebook messaging them about their divorce or their kid who's has substance abuse or how they are unemployed and they can't find a job and they're miserable, but their profiles look perfect. He's like, I can't handle this. Nobody can. I'm like, no, this is not a good way to live. Like we have to do this differently. And so with the book, with the relaunch of the company, with a new focus is really in the workshops and the retreats is all really what I'm getting to is we are all doing the same thing and we're not talking about it and, and we need to start talking about it and do things differently. And, and so that's yes. really Yes, purpose. yes, yes. I, oh, yes, yes, yes. This is like, <laughs> man, you're speaking to me here. Because like, that's exactly, I think what led me here too is especially like, you know, thinking about getting divorced, going through divorce. I mean, we are all projecting online these perfect lives. <clears throat> and what I've really come into with now is perfect family life. Like I've now realized like family is such a subjective definition. Like there are many types of families out there. And as I'm going through this process, like we decide to get divorced, go through the divorce, so amicable, like we're great together. Like it's not like a horrific divorce or anything, but obviously it's a, it's a change in life for both of us. And then I start noticing all these other people sharing things about divorce. And I basically, I start to realize there are a lot of other people that I know to some degree, some not very well, some pretty well, that like don't have perfect marriages, don't have perfect families, are getting divorced or whatnot. And that really like spoke to me and connected with me in terms of like, hey, there's other people out there going through this that are having the same struggles as you. And like, 
that's okay and that's normal and like there's nothing wrong with what you're going through and it like turns out it's you know quote unquote normal there's other people going through it like that just really connected with me and i i'm what you just said like we cannot keep going on projecting this because that's what i want to do now is like i want to be honest and authentic so i can help others who are aware in my situation of like wait a second i can relate to this part of tim's story i'm glad he's sharing it hopefully that helps me long way of saying yes 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 tracy <laughs> All right. I'm just oh. your cheerleader here. I am. Thank you. I will be yours as well because we, we all have to support each other as we figure this out. It's just, I don't know. Everybody gets so mad at the social networks themselves and they can certainly do things differently. At the same time, they're more like utilities in many ways. Um, it's how we use them is how it shapes our experiences with them. I think so. I, I think, yeah, because like I said, I mean, we can choose whether or not we're even on them. And, you know, your fiance doesn't even use them, you know, like. But I feel like there has to be like you're finding your own way of using it. I'm finding my own way. Like we don't have to use them a certain way. I think that's what I'm really getting to in my work now is like you and I both were hugely excited about social media like a decade ago, which is how we got connected in the first place. Right? Yeah. Like tweet, tweet ups and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think at the time the narrative was like, oh, you have to share everything. You have to like keep getting better and keep growing and being better online. And I think we are human to this entire point of your lovely podcast. Like we are going to have hard spots. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have three steps backwards. Like why can't we talk about that online? You know, why are the rules that it only has to be positive and why are the rules that we have to share everything all the time? Like, what about not sharing everything all the time? Things like that. <sighs> yeah, there's a very, very all over the map answer. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, you know, and I'm sure you're in your research or your book and, and such and your work doing all this. But I wonder how much of it, especially back in the day, maybe even more so today, but comes from that, these metrics on all these networks, the likes, the loves, the the follower accounts and all this of like, you know, us as humans just wanting more of those, wanting more follows, more likes and all that. And so whether consciously or not, like sharing information that seems to generate more of that and we just continue sharing that stream of information you know, ignoring any other experimental information we could be experimenting with. Yes. I mean, are you, so one thing I'm working through with the book is the concept of attachment theory. Have you in your therapy travels and readings learned about this at all? No, it does not ring a bell. Attachment theory. So as I understand, it, I'm just starting to learn more about it, but it's the belief that our earliest memories, like, inform how we relate to other people. So it's kind of where the attachment parenting theories come from. But if you have a secure childhood, like as a very like small baby, small child, like your parents are there, you have a caregiver that's consistent and loving, you will be able to form secure attachments to other people. If you don't, if you have if neglect, abuse, even just parents who may not be the most present parents because they've got other stuff that they're dealing with, your attachment style could become either... Uh, anxious or um, avoidant. I think even defiant is part of one. And so if you think about it, how we relate to other people shows up on social media. And so if you have an anxious attachment style, 
that you're not aware of, then you're looking for affirmation. You're looking to be liked. You're looking to be connected constantly to other people and not being rejected. If you are avoidant, you might not be there at all, or you might not share very much. If you are oppositional, you might be bullying other people. If you're secure, you might be completely fine and like not understanding why other people are getting rattled by social media. And so all of these different styles are showing up online. And I, I think I'm just so curious how it's informing what we do. I, I love all of that. Like, <laughs> I think that's so much a part of it. I really do. I mean, I haven't heard, I don't remember the term attachment theory, but like what you described of that, I do remember reading up a little bit about that and it makes so much sense, but no, I think you're spot on with that. I'm really excited to see this, you know, I, I mean, the work you're doing, but especially if you're putting it into a book form, then it's kind of in a digest and like your uh, deliverable, there is something we can all read. I'm really excited for that. The journalist in me wants to make a full disclaimer, Tim, that I am not a mental health expert <laughs> and I am simply Fair reading enough. lots of things and interviewing other people. And I literally just like came across this, this insight a few weeks ago. So I'm just starting to look into it, but it's just, there is something in how we our natural state of relating to other people informs how we relate to other people online for sure. Yeah. And I appreciate your disclaimer. I will say though that, I mean, I think we all, none of us, well, I guess you and I are mental health experts. There are people that actually have studied and have degrees in mental health expertise, but I think we all do have a little bit that we can teach each other about mental health, probably from our own experiences. So we all probably have a little bit of tiny expertise at the, the least in our little respective areas. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I I could chat for forever, but I'm going to respect everyone's time here. Um, and maybe we'll just have to chat again sometime soon. But um, I really appreciate it. And, you know, congrats on everything. I'm so excited um, for what you're up to now with Social Authentic and the book. But, you know, keep keep confidently raising your hands, standing up and taking action because we need more of that. Oh, thank you, Tim. This has been great. And yes, we must do this again. So I will definitely be watching you on social media, not in a creepy way, <laughs> but cheering you on in all of your authenticity. So thank you. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.